0: What it is, is acknowledging the fact that the system was set up to take care of people so they would not be in poverty in their older years. I quite frankly think that my friend Mark Zuckerberg doesn't need to collect Social Security.
1: From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker.
0: I did not run for this job for failure. I could say it really nicely. I could say it in the way that you all might be more comfortable with. You conduct yourself like that in the courtroom, your rear end's going to get thrown in jail, idiot.
1: I'm David First, here with Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for New Jersey Public Radio and WNYC, and Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. The governor was up in New Hampshire, where he talked and talked and generally got to be Chris Christie in front of crowds of people and hordes of reporters. We're going to be talking about that. Later, we'll hear from Matthew Iglesias, executive editor of Vox, on the Social Security proposals he unveiled in the Granite State, And we'll hear from Fran Wendelboe, New Hampshire Republican Party activist. She's going to weigh in on Christie's reception up north. First, uh, Matt Katz, Uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about all of Christie's pivots in Iowa, where he was trying to bolster
2: his conservative cred. Uh, What Chris Christie did we get up in New Hampshire? We got both. This is really the Chris Christie that we've sort of came to know in his first term, a guy who gives both the the red meat to the conservatives, but then sometimes has these positions which seem almost liberal, or he says things that seem like they're not of the standard Republican ilk. So I, I like to call this little game we can play with him, red meat, blue meat. So he gives the red meat to the conservatives, but sometimes he gives the blue meat to everybody else. The biggest sort of red meat I heard was at the second town hall meeting he Uh, held in New Hampshire, and he made this comment about Obama not caring about the country, or that he didn't know if Obama cared about the country. He also, in his appearances this week in New Hampshire, came out even more strongly than he had in the past against Common Core, which is this educational standards that conservatives despise. It's something that he totally adopted in the beginning of his time in New Jersey and is now turning against, so that would be another example of red meat. He also went off very passionately about the new deal with Cuba.
0: How can you take someone off a terrorist watch list when they're actively harboring a terrorist that's in your top 10 domestic terrorists? It's insane. And, I, and, and, and it is, as I said, I want to repeat myself, it's a national disgrace that the president is engaging in that kind of conduct. He should be ashamed of himself.
2: And that seemed like a a very thick, juicy piece of red meat for the conservative crowd. He also made a comment about cracking down on those states that have legalized marijuana.
0: Marijuana is an illegal drug under federal law, and the states should not be permitted to sell it and profit from it.
1: That's the governor speaking on the Hugh Hewitt show. Uh, what about serving up some blue meat? Uh, I know the governor mentioned climate change, so he must not be in Florida.
2: Yeah, that's right. He actually said he believes climate change is real, which is something he said in the past. But it was sort of striking amidst this field of Republicans to say that in New Hampshire when he's about to start running for president. Tom Moran, you want to jump in?
3: It is worth noting, though, Matt, that he made clear that he wasn't going to do anything about climate change, even though he agreed that it exists and it's a problem and that man contributes to it. He specifically said no cap-and-trade, no carbon tax. He repeated that in New Jersey, you know, he's withdrawn from the regional cap-and-trade program. He didn't say, but he has in New Jersey taken about a billion dollars out of the Clean Energy Fund. He's uh, abandoned New Jersey's participation in lawsuits trying to clean up Midwest coal plants. So in his rhetoric he's saying the right things. He doesn't want to be one of the climate deniers and sound crazy. But in all of his policies, he's in line with the Koch brothers.
1: Well, we're talking about some of uh, the nuance that Christie brought to New Hampshire. Tom, you've written about uh, the way he talked about immigration up in the Granite
3: State. Yeah, it was really quite interesting. I mean, the guy seems entirely relaxed in this town hall setting. He's crammed into a sports bar with a couple of hundred people. And, you know, he's down in the polls and everything's going terrible in New Jersey, but he seems perfectly cool as a cucumber. And maybe liberated by the fact that it's starting to turn into a long shot. And on immigration, he got a question from an older woman who said, what are you going to do to get all these undocumented, these illegals off welfare and out of the country? And that was an easy chance to go for some red meat, you know, and, and he really didn't. He pushed back on her. He said, wait a minute. These people are here to work not to collect welfare, he said building a wall all across the Mexican border is expensive and it would be a boondoggle.
0: I'm not somebody who's for building a wall from one end to the other. Um, I don't think that that's smart. I don't think it's efficient or effective. He said the place to enforce the
3: law would be with employers who are hiring illegals knowingly in order to get low wages. And he says that's where we should really focus our enforcement efforts.
0: If we have employers now where we're going to clamp down on folks who are hiring people in this matter, once we set up a fair system that everybody is signed on to, well, then I think you're going to really decrease the amount of people who want to come here. If they know if you come here, you're not going to get employed.
3: Those are all Democratic talking points or bipartisan immigration reform talking points, at least, of the sort that is not at all popular out on the campaign trail.
2: At the other town hall meeting he did a couple days earlier in New Hampshire, he said he didn't believe in this concept of self-deportation, which is something that Mitt Romney had said in the 2012 election.
0: These folks are not going to leave on their own. They're just not. And I don't believe in that concept. And I also know as a former prosecutor that we do not have enough manpower To take every one of those people who are here in an undocumented status and remove them. That's all law enforcement would be doing in the United States of America if that's what we were doing.
3: I think the other big thing that, that happened in New Hampshire is that he's bringing this town hall format to the campaign trail, which is, I've been thinking, you know, about time. He's done something like he's coming up to 140 of these in New Jersey, and he's just remarkably good at it. He stands up in front of the crowd in New Hampshire and says, look, I'm not asking you to put your questions on some card and give it to my staff so they can filter out the ones I want to answer. Ask me anything you want, and I'll tell you honestly what I think about it. And the crowd loved it. So you wonder if he can – You know, his numbers are awful. And even at that meeting afterwards when you talk to people, most of them are not ready to vote for him. But you do wonder if he's shoring up his position because he's
1: compelling. People want to have a beer with him. People want to come out and see him. Whether that translates into votes at some point, we don't know yet. Matt Katz uh, covers Governor Christie for New Jersey Public Radio and WNYC. Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Thanks again. Thanks,
3: guys. Okay, guys.
1: This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. So how was Governor Christie received by Republicans in New Hampshire? He spoke at the First in the Nation Republican leadership summit, he held town halls. Did Republicans like him? Did he change any voters' minds about him and about his chances in a presidential race? We're joined now by Fran Wendelbow, New Hampshire Republican Party activist and former state representative who is not yet supporting a candidate. Fran, based on his current standing in the race and everything the early polls keep telling us, Christie had to turn in a good performance in New Hampshire. How did he do?
4: Um, You know, Governor Christie clearly redeemed himself in New Hampshire uh, with this particular trip. You know, we had 19 uh, potential presidential candidates come through for the cattle call and all had a half an hour to speak. And I have to tell you, I was in the room for pretty much all of them. And Governor Christie had, I believe, the strongest crowd there uh, wanting to listen to him.
1: Why is that? Why did he have the biggest crowd?
4: You know, I think that it was a one-two punch. It was him coming out, talking entitlement reform and getting good press, and people saying, hmm, maybe I should give him a second look. So I think people went out of their way to um, step in and see what he had to say. And I think while I didn't hear anybody saying, I'm on board with Governor Christie, they all were taking a second look.
1: Okay, people taking a second look, but what else are you hearing? I'm just wondering, Fran, what else have you been hearing about Chris Christie when you talk to other Republicans in the state?
4: Well, there is definitely two sides of politics in New Hampshire. There's the establishment of conservatives. I will tell you that conservatives are planning on pushing back this year. They're tired of being told by the establishment, you need to get behind candidates so-and-so because they're the only ones that can beat the Democrats. So I think It would be a hard sell for true conservatives to support Governor Christie. Uh, Common Core is a big issue. Immigration is a big issue. The social issues um, are big. And while the tough talk people initially like, it's, it's a little bit like Donald Trump. People view Donald Trump as a straight shooter and not afraid to say anything. But that gets old after a while if you can't back it up with real substance.
1: Fran Wendelboe, New Hampshire Republican Party activist, former state representative. Thank you for speaking with us. This is the Christie Tracker podcast. We take a closer look at one of Governor Christie's New Hampshire talking points now. While he was in the state with uh, the the first-in-the-nation primary, Governor Christie unveiled some Social Security reform proposals, like this one.
0: I propose a modest means test that only affects those with non-Social Security income of over $80,000 a year and phases out Social Security payments entirely for those that have $200,000 a year in retirement income.
1: And this one.
0: Raising the retirement age makes sense. And it also encourages productive seniors to remain in the workforce.
1: Here to talk about those proposals and why we all focused on the least important one is Matthew Iglesias, executive editor of Vox. So you wrote this analysis of the proposals for Vox with the headline, Chris Christie says his Social Security plan hurts the rich, but it really hurts the poor. Can you break that down for us?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So his plan has two elements. One part of it really is about sort of taking Social Security benefits away from very wealthy retirees, from people who have over $80,000 a year in investment income that's coming in, even though they're not working anymore. He spent a lot of time talking about that in his speech. He sort of sold it to journalists, and he got a whole bunch of stories that led with that idea that he's trimming benefits for wealthy retirees. Uh, But a much larger share of the savings actually comes from the proposal to raise the retirement age. Um, That applies. To everybody, it's a cut of about 10% across the board in Social Security payouts. So very, very significant, whereas only 2% of households would be impacted by the changes to the wealthy. Um, and if you look at, you know, who suffers the most when you raise the retirement age, it's really lower income people. These are people who have lower life expectancies, who've seen life expectancies raised less, and also who are more likely to have sort of backbreaking, physically arduous jobs that it's more difficult to keep doing to your
1: late 60s so people who are likely to want to take the earliest possible retirement
5: Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, if you're talking about somebody who's, you know, working, uh, they're working in a warehouse, you know, they move giant boxes around, and Chris Christie's saying, well, you know, we'll have them keep doing that until they're 69. Um, That's like a much tougher ask than just ask that of a lawyer or of a website editor such as myself. Uh, It's sort of very popular in elite circles to kind of say, well, you know, people should work a little bit longer, people are living longer. And it really does make sense. But when you look sort of down the income spectrum, You're talking about people who haven't seen the same kind of gains in health and life expectancy and whose jobs, you know, are are really hard. They're physically taxing and get really difficult to do as people get older. They have problems with their backs, problems with their knees. And it's a it's a really sort of asking a lot.
1: Isn't it also significant, though, that he is talking about phasing out Social Security payments for people making two hundred thousand dollars a year in retirement income? Doesn't he deserve some credit uh, when, when you hear? a Republican coming after rich people's money?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, And and it is, you know, very reasonable to ask, like, well, do we really need to spend a lot of money bolstering the retirement security of people who are already rich. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's smart to put this issue on the table. He's not the first one to have ever raised it. Um, but it's it's a good idea to see in the mix. Republicans have really moved away from talking about Social Security at all after the sort of disaster of George W. Bush's proposal. Um, and Democrats, you know, are never enthusiastic about uh, talking about Social Security in, in any regard. So, you know, it's good to think about the distributional mechanisms of this. But again, I mean, it's worth portraying it um, accurately.
1: Uh, How much of the inaccuracy that you're talking about is coming from the governor, and how much of it is just the way the media coverage went?
5: Well, you know, I mean, I think you have to give due credit to the governor's media operation. If you look at his speech, it's a very accurate speech. It's all sort of laid out in there. Um, But he did a good job of spinning people. I I think he sent out some excerpts of the speech, which focused on the cuts to the rich. And so the the kind of media machine just like went on with this lead, even though the real program uh, was sort of buried in the middle of the speech you know, that's fine. I mean, everyone's allowed to play the political game. I just thought it was important after having read a whole bunch of stories that sort of led with a relatively small cut that we actually put the focus where it belongs, which is that he proposed a a significant increase in the retirement age, structured in a way that's going to be very difficult for for working class people. It's an idea that's been kicking around a lot. I mean, his proposal on the retirement age is essentially the same as the one that the Simpson-Bowles Commission put forward. Uh, So this is an idea with a lot of support. But you know, I mean, I think it's an idea whose implications are very different from what the original Wall Street Journal article and some of the other coverage would have led you to believe.
1: You know, Matthew, uh, Governor Christie's in a tough place in this election. Uh, not that he's uh, said that he's running or anything yet, but uh, is an issue like Social Security and the way he's talking about this something that could uh, help get him some traction in this election, get him some attention? That he's the guy talking about substantive issues and able to uh, talk about some things that uh, maybe uh, Republicans might not like, maybe some Democrats might not like? He's he's the straight-talking guy who can uh, tell it like it is?
5: Yeah, I think it fits his brand well. I mean, I think it's smart. I think he understands that if fundamentally Republicans don't want Chris Christie, then Chris Christie isn't going to win. And then what he has to do is sort of emphasize the qualities that he is already known to have, which is that this is a guy who isn't afraid to make people angry, who isn't afraid to speak his mind. Um, And so who can go out there, maybe in a more forward leaning way with a more politically risky sort of policy. And if you're saying as a donor, as a potential endorser, as a potential voter, you know, what I want is a Republican candidate and a potential Republican president who's going to go way out on a ledge, you know, who's going to govern as a conservative in a state like New Jersey, who's going to come right out on the campaign trail and propose cutting social security, that Chris Christie is going to be that guy. Um, I don't know that that's a winning strategy for him, but it's. it seems to me like the only strategy that could conceivably win uh, because other people are sort of adopting a more um, benign conventional sort of face. And they're out there, Scott Walker, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush. So he needs to distinguish himself from that field and he's succeeding in doing that.
1: Matthew Iglesias, executive editor of Vox. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook, and you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z, or Tom Moran at Tom A.
0: Moran. I'm David First. Till
1: next week. My
0: poll numbers over time, as I've said to people in New Jersey, have gone from in the 40s when I was first elected into the 80s, the 60s, the 50s, the 40s. Uh, They're all over the place. And it's because I speak my mind.